0: On this episode of the podcast, I get to kick off 2020 by sitting down with Jamie Newbauer. We've been sitting down trying to get this interview in for a while. Finally got it locked down. Jamie is a play-by-play gentleman. He does a lot of work for the SJHL, and he is a great hockey mind. He's also a huge Leafs fan and Raptors fan, so we'll dabble in some of that today as well. All right, guys, get ready for a kick-ass episode. It is time to kick off Offside 2020. Offside 2020. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Alright, so as I said off the top, ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting down with Jamie Nugenbauer. Did I say it right, Jamie? I've been trying that name all day.
1: It's Bauer. No problem,
0: though. <laughs> Bauer? Okay, you listen. I will get better at it yeah. as we go. Promise.
1: What so. I tell people to do is break it down, right? Nugenbauer. And Bauer, Just like a skating strategy can't get out of the skate, you break it down. Nuga, Bauer. Bauer like the hockey company. Nuga like the maybe like the stuff you find in your ice and your chocolate bar. Nuga
0: that. <laughs> well listen, I'll break it down Bauer. like just like Barb Underhill broke down Freddie Gochase skating, I will get better at your name like he did with skating, don't worry. Perfect. <laughs> well, this has been an ill fated interview to be honest with you. I feel like it's Tony Ferguson versus uh, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov because we keep scheduling to get this done, and unfortunately, keeps falling through the cracks or something goes wrong. So, I am super happy to kick off 2020 with you as the first guest on the show, and I'm sure you're finally happy to get on. Oh, it's awesome!
1: Yeah, I know. I definitely, I know. I know uh, my old, uh, old buddy Doug Ireland has been on your show a bunch, and uh, you know, if there's somebody that's going to be filling that uh, on the airways uh, instead of me, I'm, I'm just honored that it's Dougie because. Uh, that guy is an absolute legend uh, legend in my mind. So, uh, yeah, but no, it's great to be on there. I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you
0: sticking with it. No, not a worry. And, yes, Doug Ireland is a legend. I always call him the voice of the OJ, and for good reason. He's only destined for bigger and better things that are going to come in 2020.
1: Oh, yeah. No, for <laughs> sure. I, I finally got um, uh, the first kid on a team that I worked with, uh, make the NHL, and uh, he scored his first goal uh, with the San Jose Sharks pretty recently. Mario Ferraro, the defenseman uh, for the Sharks. Uh, but uh, I, I was thinking, you know, which person that I know well would make the NHL first? And, uh, you know, I, there was some decent Malaysian betting ring money on Doug Ireland um, on that uh, on that fact. So, I that uh, good for Mario. Obviously, he got his first goal there against the Philadelphia Flyers what a snipe it was, too, the former UMass defenseman. But Dougie Dougie definitely,
0: you talk about Destin for great things. This guy can do it all. He's got talent all all over the place. So uh, he's incredible. Oh, for sure. Well, to jump into what you do. So obviously you can read your bio and you can see that you do play-by-play for Notre Dame and uh, the other team is escaping me at the moment. But you also work with the SJHL, much like Doug does with the OJHL. So walk us through a day in the life of Jamie what is it like calling games, and what is it like working with the SJ and the things that you do?
1: Yeah, so the other thing that I well, I do, a, I actually do a bunch of things, just Twitter doesn't allow you to have enough space, I suppose. Maybe I should re- revisit how I uh, put my bio up in Twitter, but um, long story short, I also broadcast women's soccer and women's hockey for the University of Regina um, in youth sports, so I know they call me to do, you know, men's hockey in youth sports sometimes, they call me to do basketball as well uh men's and women's basketball for the u of r also I've done a bunch of different things for them um i also write a SHL column talk about me covering the league um i write a column every week uh, on rod peterson.com and if you're not familiar with who rod peterson is he's kind of the, the bob mccallan almost of uh, of saskatchewan
2: cool.
1: um, i don't know if he would appreciate that uh that comparison, but he's kind of a legend in terms of being uh, sort of a sports talk guy around the province in Saskatchewan, so he's a big deal. He was the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for uh, 20 years. He was the, the, the voice of the, the Regina Pats for a long time, as well as the Western Hockey League, so um, he, he's, he's a good buddy of mine and he's been very, very kind and generous to me to, to have me on his website, so I do that. Um, the, the league hires me to be a broadcaster. I've been in an in arena announcer, and I called back up actually for some tips um, when I had that opportunity and um, yeah for Notre Dame I do their play-by-play I do their social media I do a lot of writing that's not even really the hockey for the school because um, people around Canada and the world know Notre Dame as a, as a college and um, obviously, there's lots of stories then connected to Notre Dame, and they do a job of trying to get those stories out there and, and uh, tell our story as a, as a school. I mean, at least I think people around the world know about Notre Dame, but uh, it's it's pretty cool to, to work work there. And um, I write a lot for their magazine on campus. Um, you know, I'm occasionally on local radio in Saskatchewan. I used to be every week uh, talking about the Sjhl. Um, yeah, but it's it's uh, it's a blast and. Um, you know, one thing I'll say, and I'll try not to ramble too much,
2: but... Uh, <laughs> not a worry, man. I'll we are free cover. form. <laughs> yeah. One thing I'll say about the
1: Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League in Saskatchewan is that, and I don't want to, and I don't mean in any sort of way disrespect towards any other province or any other league, um, but uh, the passion and the love and the tradition that people hold dearly for this league uh, in the province is amazing. With these communities... You know Humboldt and Yorkton and Kindersley and Melville and Estevan and the list goes on, I'm not skipping anybody on purpose. They actually mm-hmm. genuinely really care about their clubs. And I know that exists or in Canada. I'm not saying it doesn't, but as a province, that uh, it's in the consciousness, the junior a league is in my consciousness in the blood of a province it is so impressive and so beautiful to me, especially someone coming from the GTA, who uh, where where I actually am right now. I'm actually in Toronto. Um, just uh, it's just it's just such a beautiful thing that that people care so much about this league. So it's a ton of fun to cover it, uh, given that uh, even just sort of as a product. But um, just the, the fact that people know the province care so much is also awesome.
0: Well, you know, the crazy thing is, I had Craig Button on, and I was talking to him about you know the Ontario Junior Hockey League and the SJHL, and he broke it down. Yeah. It's more of a community league, right? So yeah. when you don't have big name teams like. You talked about the, uh-huh. the GTA a little bit there. They have the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have the Toronto Marlies. You have ECHL yeah. clubs there as well. So the draw for the OJHL is a little bit tougher. And being community based yeah. like the SJHL, you don't have those bigger teams. So fans are rabid for hockey. They love hockey. They love their local teams, whether it be the the Rough yep. Riders or whether it be you know like you said the SJ or the Notre Dame. You know, they will come to those games because there isn't the bigger ticket, but also you get to have the community experience, you know, and we all know the tragedy that befell for, for the humble Broncos, and we'll get into that with you in just a moment because that's something I really want to ask you about. But having a local team to cheer for, it's like us out here on the East Coast, we have the Halifax Mooseheads. I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia right now, but we all go to the local games like your Cole Harbor Colts or, you know, the Halifax Max. You go to those games as well because that's what's here and that's what you cheer for Mm -hmm. and it builds the community. And it's like you said, everybody goes there and everybody knows about it and everybody knows about Notre Dame because... It is a team that is put to the forefront in that province. So then everybody talks about it and it gets to a bigger stage. So, yes, I do believe what you said. Everybody does know about Notre Dame. Everybody does know about the SJHL. And it's a different level because it's more on the forefront in that province and able to be pushed by local media such as yourself.
1: Yeah, well, I, mean, I, should, I should qualify that. Notre Dame, uh, is so first and foremost, it's a prep school. Um, it's, I don't know if you're, like, with the OJHL fans will be kind of familiar with St. Mike's buzzers, except I guess, uh, you know, from what I understand, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty too much, but um, the, the team that the junior team that I work for um, is and isn't simultaneously connected to the school. So in, in terms of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, the Hounds are uh, just just as much a club that wheels and deals and has an operating budget and tries to get fans and and gets players from all over the place, like every other team in the league. But at the same time, we're, we're also intimately connected to the school, so our players all live in dorms on campus like the students do um, and, and whatnot. But I think there's a little confusion, too, and stuff, not from you, but from a lot of people, about you know, who, who the Hounds are, where they come from, where are all these famous NHLers, you know, the Morgan Rileys, the Barry Trotzers, the Curtis Josephs, the Rod Brindamores. You know, Morgan, uh, the Flurry brothers, you know, Jaden Schwartz. You know, the list kind of goes on of, of great players that have played for Notre Dame, where they played, some of them played junior, some of them didn't play junior for Notre Dame. Notre Dame, Hounds, Junior A, um, in its current incarnation has only existed since 1987, 88, which
0: is a great story, if, if I can just free flow for a sec here. You go right, is right that, ahead, my friend. Uh, this, this,
1: this team of midget players who won the Nats, who went on to... Uh, uh, who were dominant midget, a midget Notre Dame Hounds midget team. Um, they, uh, they had Rod Brindamore, the head lease director of uh, player development, currently Scott Pellerin who went on to be an NHLer. Um, you know, they had, uh, you know, a, a long list of, of names that, that some people would, uh, would know and some people maybe wouldn't, but they were just a staff, a staff team at the time. And um, they, you know, they, They said, you know, hey, look, uh, we want to play junior, but we don't want to leave. (laughs) So then, you know, Barry McKenzie, who went on, I think he still works for the Minnesota Wild, actually, he went on to, you know, find out if the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League would take the Notre Dame team back. And uh, it was a team of 17-, 18-year-olds. You know, just like today, you know, it's mostly a 19-year-old, 20-year-old thing. It, it, if you're going to win in Junior A in Canada, you're probably going to have a team of mostly 19-, year olds But So nobody knew what was going to happen to the league. But, you know, the FCHL said, okay, sure, you can come in. And Junior A in Canada said, sure, you can come in. And then, of course, Rob Brindamore and, and, who, and whatnot. Those guys end up winning all of the, the national championships. Uh, that, that year and they, they do sign a goalie um who was playing in what's called the OJ of now, who was a nobody from nowhere, uh, who was good, but nobody named Curtis Joseph, um, <laughs> who came in and played as a twenty year old. Um and, and I, the story goes that after a game or two or something there was all sorts of schools who were knocking at their door. It was just they were just amazed at how good this Curtis Joseph kid was, but uh, yeah, the, the Wall of Honor at Notre Dame is pretty pretty impressive. Uh, uh, gotta, gotta
0: love it. It's a lot of fun. Well, the cool thing is, too, and as I think it was either this season or last, Hockey Night in Canada with the hometown hockey. They did a, a feature yeah. on that school. So I, I've when, as you're going through it, I'm remembering this and seeing the Morgan Rileys and seeing, the, you know, talk about Brindamore and talk about everything that happened at that school. So, yes, I remember exactly what you're talking about. And it's pretty cool you know, to know the history, to see the history, have it on a grand stage like, you know, hometown hockey, and then be able to talk about it, you know, today on the podcast and, and run with it. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, for yourself, and we'll, we'll touch on some other things here in a moment, but for for Notre Dame and working with them, what is your favorite moment thus far that you got to be a part of with that school? With
2: the school? Well, wow, that's a good
1: question. I, a couple moments really stick out, and I was joking with... So the terms of now, the school maybe doesn't want me to say this, but hopefully anyways, that's fine. There's sort of a, a flagship team at the school where, you know, everybody that is like the, the big deals kinda had kind of played for and it's not the junior a team, it's actually the middle triple A team, the prep school team, whatever you want to call it. Um, where Morgan Riley's shown really bright and Vincent LeCavalier and Brad Richards teamed up and um, Etc. And so they the Midget A team, and so um, they've won Saskatchewan Midget title titles of the last four years, um, and they won the Telus Cup a couple of years ago. Um, so t- the two year, last two years in a row, you know they kind of they, they usually don't they, they do film the, the all the all the the prep school the high school games um, in HD, but they don't always have a broadcaster. But for the Midget uh, Finals, the Saskatchewan Provincial Finals. Um, they had me in there and I the last two years in a row um, I've called it and they won and two years ago when they when they were the Cup champs which included a, a team that had um, Colonel Tamlo's blazer and Tampa Bay Lightning prospect Queen um, and um, uh, and among a long list of other, uh, guys who I think could, could be NHLers or pros, definitely a very, very good uh, midget AAA team. They were stacked a couple of years ago. Last year, they weren't nearly as stacked. They were a great team, good collection of kids. They worked really, really hard. They had an incredible goaltender who is in the BCHL right now. Um, um, by the name of Thomas Wardle. But um, they were not necessarily supposed to win, but they were facing a, a Saskatoon Blazers midget team that was just stacked. Um, you know, there's... There was, there was Cole Nagy, who's doing really good things with Prince Albert Raiders in the dub right now, and um, Nolan Allen, who's also Prince Albert Raiders prospect, doing really well, and Winnipeg Ice prospect Carter Prasovsky is on that team. It was just stacked, that's getting play team. And the Hounds just battled, battled, found a way, got great goal And so getting to call them winning the championship two years in a row has been, was a lot of fun. Um, you know, that winning tradition of the midget team especially is – is really special, and, and there's almost an expectation that they make their run, even if they don't have a great regular season. There's always an expectation there, and it's fun to be around that. So those those two, um, as sort of as a Notre Dame broadcaster, we're, were big. And then in terms of the junior team, uh, you know, it's kind of been it's kind of been up and down results wise over the last couple of years. Um, one that really sticks out to me was uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month ago now. The number one team in Canada at the time in the junior year rankings was the Battleford North Stars, who came in uh, 26 and three, uh, and we were, you know, not even in the playoffs. But we're not, still not in the playoffs slot, unfortunately, in the SDHL. But they came in full of confidence and vim and vigor, and you um, know, didn't even expect nobody expected us to, to make a dent, I guess. And we took them to overtime and beat them, and we were the only team, other than this one other team, other than Yorkton. To have beaten them all year, uh, and Yorkton is in third right now in the league. Um, and so uh, we we were the, they gave them their fourth loss of the year, and it was an overtime win, and it was a big one. And I had uh, Rod Peterson in front of us talking about um, doing color for me, and I just kind of lost it on the air—not lost it in an appropriate way, just really excited. And uh, so that one really sticks out actually as, as my fun, our favorite junior A moment so far. There's been lots of fun ones on and off the ice, but to the midget championships and uh and then calling though that win over at the time the number one team canada was it was
0: pretty cool well getting a victory like that over a number one squad i mean it's huge for a team and i mean it goes a long way of building you know you know camaraderie and getting everybody going which is wicked and i mean the feeling on the ice for the guys like you said up and down season that's something that can turn your season around that's something that can give you hope to say hey We can, if we come together and play right and play for a full 60, we can go out and get a victory against anybody and it proved it because obviously going out and getting the victory at the time against the number one team in Junior A in Canada, you got it right there. And, I mean, for you calling that game, getting excited, I mean, I wouldn't – I wouldn't call it a bad no. thing. I mean, I've heard uh, guys like uh, no. Joe Montesano or Arena Matushi, and, yeah. you know, those guys get really excited behind the mic, and that's what you want. You want people to have, you know, personality. You want guys to, to call. There's a reason why Leaf fans are so adamant about wanting Joe Bowen back on the radio, or not the radio, back yeah. on the broadcast, because he calls the game, and, and you call it a homer mentality, but if you're doing a regional yeah. broadcast or a local broadcast, you should be a homer for that team because you're calling it for that squad. And that's why everybody likes to link up his voice to the Leafs game and try to get them seamlessly. So you getting excited, that's exactly what the game needs because it draws people in, it gets people amped up. I mean, when you hear Joe Bowen, you know, scream, Holy Mackinac, you know, you know something big happening. You got to... Try to find the replay when you get the chance to get away from the radio if you're not watching the game. So I I tip my cap to you for having personality and being Uh excited because that stuff is needed these days. You know, there's too much, I'd say, I wouldn't say censorship, but too much you have to be, walk the line of professional and, you know, be humdrum and, you know, make sure that you're respectful to the other side. But I think if you're a regional local broadcaster, uh, you know, you should be able to cheer and be excited for your squad. So tip of the cap to you, man.
1: Well, sure, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't mean that I was ashamed of it or not. I, actually, I, I mean, uh, I get funny comments on my column oh, it's just a
2: Notre Dame blah. <laughs> and it doesn't bother me.
1: It's kind of like, uh,
2: it's kind like that scene in,
1: um, I forget what that, I forget what that movie's called, where uh, the N.W.A. movie or they uh, uh, talk about that that hip hop, the the hip hop, the gangster rap group in the, in the in the '90s or whatever it was when. Uh, they, you know, they they're on a bus and a bunch of people are destroying all their CDs or whatever on a on a, on a bridge, and the guy is just like, "Well, they had to buy their CDs to to destroy them in the first place, so I don't care what they do with them." <laughs> so it's like, you know, people click on my call and they, they wanna they want to comment negatively. That's totally fine. Um, but yeah, no, I was uh, I was I, I didn't mean that. Like, I was not happy. You know, I was not happy with my performance or something. I was I was happy with my performance, and I got messages from all over the place and. Coaches around the league and uh, and people, you know, the, my, the the two assistant coaches at the World Junior a Challenge Team Canada West team, uh, our buddies of mine too, and um, they they both even sent me messages. They were kind of tuning because you know it, Notre Dame takes battle battle for so overtime. Everybody kind of tuned in and wasn't that busy of a night around the league either. So it was a, it was it was a blast. I I get excited. I I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm not. Uh, I don't don't have the jokes like Joe Montesano. Funny story about Joe Montesano. Um, I, uh, I used to, I don't know if you know my backstory at all, but I, I called games in the OJHL for a long time uh, as well. And uh, there was one game I was covering for Joe when Joe was calling for the Toronto Junior Canadians um, back at old uh, Chesswood Arena. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was, maybe it was 2014 or 13, I don't even know. But uh, there's people, I guess, that sat in the same seats and, and I listened to Joe's broadcast while the game was going on. Uh, you know, every every game I guess. And they turned around and like, You're not Joe and I'm like, No, no, I'm not Joe and they gave me this luck and they were like, uh, well Joe make, make Joe does lots of great jokes, so make sure you do great jokes. We'll be disappointed. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not the uh, not trying to fill Joe Monasino shoes here. <laughs> definitely, I definitely have a different style, but I get excited, uh, I get excited for sure. But, you know, hey, I appreciate uh, appreciate the tip of the cap. It's uh it, it, it's a blast to call games. But I don't think it, uh, I, I, you know, people people watch anything, it was anything,
0: or even mute me. So if <laughs> people tune in, I really appreciate it. Well, I wasn't saying it that you maybe you know offended or embarrassed or, you know, no, thinking you did it wrong. I wasn't saying that. I was just saying for myself, when yeah. when you tune into, because I don't hear on the East Coast, we have to watch a lot of feeds from the other yeah. broadcasts to get the Maple Leafs. So when you hear them mm-hmm. and they're talking about the game, there's not really a lot of emotion and there's not really a yeah. lot of excitement. And even you look at Houston and Simpson on Saturday nights, you know, there's not a whole lot of, well, get you amped up. I remember listening to um, Joe Bone and Harry Neal call Maple Leaf games and yeah, I remember Harry right Neal against Ottawa you know Ottawa player was cross checking the Leafs guy I think it was Corey Cross in front of the net and I remember yeah. him saying live on air that was a bonehead move you bonehead yeah you know just things yeah. like that and it adds a little bit of flavor and I'm sure he got oh, yeah. you got talking to after that but those are things you need because for me that draws yeah. you in that 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 you know because you're thinking it now you know they're thinking it and it's just it feels like you're more connected to the game than someone just saying, "Well, he's skating down the wing and he took a shot and whoop, we got a whistle." That to me is like, yeah. no, I'm not amped up. You know, I like when you hear guys say, "You know, flying down the wing, snaps the puck, what a save!" You know, like I can hear Joe yeah. Montesano's doing the the oh my, you know, I can hear oh those things. My. Yeah. yeah, so you know, you hear those <laughs> yeah. things, right? And it, it gets you amped up. I look at, um, uh, why do I, I always forget his name for Buffalo? Rick Chinetti. I think his name is yeah, uh, Rick Generate. Generat, There you go. I, I knew it was in that, that wheelhouse. But you hear him call yeah. games, right? And the, When the Buffalo wins an yeah. overtime or something, just the, the raspy excitedness in his voice. So I want the game oh, to get back more to that. And you know what? I think we're going to be getting further away from it because now, Jamie, they came out and John Tortorella is now getting fined. for his comments about the officials and about what went on in that game near the end and Corpus getting hurt and et cetera, et cetera. And now he also has, I would call it a bounty on his head that if he does it again, they're going to hit him with a $25,000 fine. If he does it within a calendar year, which I think is ridiculous. I think you should allow people to vent their frustrations or like Joe Rogan always says, don't put a microphone in front of guys' faces after a heated moment like that, don't expect him to come to the podium and be calm, you know, or it's the same thing with players on the ice or in the locker room after a loss or a big moment or whatever you get it. The yin and the yang, you get the excitedness and people are so excited to have the negative thing. But when something is said that they don't like, then this happens. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the Jordan Tortorella thing. Cause uh, to me, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's censorship and I think he should be able to speak his mind. If you want him on that podium, when he's angry, expect anger out of the guy.
1: Yeah. Well, no. Hey, the the ratings people are thrilled about it. Uh, there's no question about that. Yeah, I think there's there's a line too. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a level, there's, there's a line. There's, there's being, you know, uh, there's being entertaining and and uh, speaking your mind, and there's and there's also, you know, being unprofessional and rude. Um, you know, uh, the the league you know I agree with you I think they'll you know there I, I you know I think I think there needs to be a, a, a line still like you can't just say you know whatever whatever you want
0: oh you know, no no for sure
1: treated, uh, the way he treated uh, the reporter brooks I remember back in New York you know I, as a media type as a broadcaster you know I hated that I, and the, the way that he's treated some broadcasters you know I hated that you know for him to speak out about a decision or or things like that you know I think I think that should totally be a uh, fair game I guess they need to you know sort of adjust try to figure out what the what the line is uh, one way or the other but yeah I, I hate to give you a vanilla answer but I think I think you know he's he's also uh, he knows that his players watch everything he does and uh, players know things get around, words get around. Most players, anyways, get around. You know, the guys that go in front of the media and say, um, you know, I, I don't check social media, yada, yada, yada. That's, that's bogus. People have so much time on their phones. <laughs> oh, yeah, they all um, got, got burner accounts, man. Everybody knows. Everybody looks at standings and, and whatever. And, and Columbus is in uh, this real, you know, this real battle in, in the East. Uh, the wild card race in the East just is just going to keep getting – uh, you know, crazier and crazier and for all the difficulties Columbus has had their only six points out of a playoff spot right now. So, um, you know, for him taking a fine to kind of galvanize his team, to show his team that, you know, he's buying them. Uh, you know, he stands up for them. That kind of thing is, is critical. And, uh, so I think <laughs> turtles probably sitting at home having a beer being like, you know what? It's worth it. If the guys feel like I really have their backs, um, so, so definitely I agree with you that there's a space for, for you know, the way that Interpreterrella operates. And I'm sure that, again, the media in terms of um, the TV networks and the radio networks and the podcasters in the world love it because it gives them so much material. Oh, yeah. uh, the league hates it, you know, because the league wants the, what's best for business. Uh, that's, you know, a streamlined product that, you know, kids can watch all the time. But, you know, it's it, it kind of goes back to, you know, what I was saying there that, um, that the most successful coaches on the most successful teams in my mind in this day and age have coaches where the players um you know feel like the, the coach has their back you know where the coach uh is in the in the second it, with them all up their sleeves and and stands up for them whether that's with refs or or you know with whomever and um the, you know the boss that goes into it but i think that tortorella is consciously making that decision um with all these comments right now um and, yeah, we'll see how it galvanizes the, the Blue Jackets, who, you know, are, uh, are doing all right, better than
0: I thought they would be. So, <laughs> there you go. No, definitely. Well, like I said, the only the only point that I make is if you want to make guys available to the media, then you have yeah, to expect, especially after a heated situation, that he's going to be heated. And, you know, yeah. if you, you're forcing a coach to go out there and speak to reporters, that's what's going to come out of him. The, the Brooksy thing that you're talking about, yeah, I, I agree with you. John Torello's history with reporters, or even with other teams for that matter, when he was in Vancouver, is not great. And sometimes he's used it as an example because he sets himself up for those situations. But this one yeah. here, I do agree with you. He is doing this to, to galvanize the team. Uh, he's done it before. And it's actually kind of cool because the Columbus Blue Jackets players, I think it was his second season in, actually sat him down as a group And told him, you know, you need to calm it down. We know you're a good coach. We know you got our back, but you need to quit the antics. You know, we we know who you are, we know what you can do. But it's got to be hard for an organization like Columbus to lose all of the star power you lost in, like, Bobrovsky, Panarin, Duchesne, Zingle. you know, the list goes on. And maybe it makes you a little bit worried, you know, yourself about the guys that are there. Who else is thinking of going somewhere? So, yeah, him doing that maybe rallies the troops a little bit. But it just, I want to see more personality. Like, I like guys like Ovechkin when he did the hot stick and everybody was mad about that. Or P.K. Subban, you know being out there and doing everything that P.K. Subban does, you know, I think that adds eyeballs to the game. It's fun. What do you like the most about when you see the NFL? I love the celebrations of the touchdown, or if there's a big hit, the the woo, you know, the getting into it. You know, even in soccer, you know, the big jumps in the air, the fist bumps or whatever, or the the shirt over the head slides, you know, all those things, you know, those are exciting, and kids like that. And for some reason, hockey doesn't want kids to replicate being excited. They want them to yeah. do the little fist bump and go back to the bench and sit down, you know. But I love, unless you're beating a team by 10 goals and you're hot dog in yeah. the celebration then, I don't like that. But if, I mean, if you're in a game and you are you got the go-ahead goal or you tied it up or you're up by two, you know, or you haven't scored in a long time, celebrating is a good thing. And, you know, emotion, again, personality and relatability is something that sometimes I think the NHL needs to push the envelope a little bit, and it doesn't seem yeah. like they're really willing to do so.
1: Well, to, to your point, um, you know, another thing that I did recently that I got an opportunity to do was guest lecture at the University of Regina in a kid class sort of on how to do play-by-play color commentary, which was really fascinating. The dean of kid there at U of R to have me, and I was talking about sort of who my... Favorite broadcaster of all time is in, and why and you know for me it was for me it was always Bob Cole yep. and you know because not you know and, and not because you know he was analytical or a PC or you know because if he said he said genius you know strips you know lines of prose or poetry It was just because every time it was an event and to your point you know he he made a game every time you watched it feel like. You know, it's an event. Like, it's something that you can't take your eyes off. And um, you know, I try to I try to listen to him and listen to go, go back and listen to his old tells and try to figure out what it is exactly that he did that um, you know was so good. And a lot of that's just natural, uh, God-given ability. And, and unfortunately, you know, you can practice. Practice obviously is critical for everything that anybody does. But uh, in some ways, it's it's you know of you have that. Or you don't, and uh, and you know, same thing with some of these these players. I think yeah, you know some people just have naturally reserved personalities, unfortunately. But know I agree with you. I think the emotion uh, of the game does exist. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love the SJHL. Is it's, it's kind of you know, uh, it, it's kind of you know,
2: harkens back to, to a different age in some ways. There's there's plenty of skill and guys are trying to get college
1: scholarships and. You know, our guys are trying to get noticed by the, the WHL teams that own on their rights or, or whatever, and, and, and that's all, you know, part of it. But the thing that makes it exciting, there's still, you know, there's still kind of that entertainment value. There's there's hits, there's fights, there's scrums, there's there's rats and pests all over the ice. But, you know, there's guys that can, um, you know, to some degree, kind of kind of police it to a degree. And I, and I think that that's a big... You know, that's a big part of it, too. So, you know, it, it, that's part of the reason that makes the FCHL so much fun in my way is that it is it is kind of like that that older brand of hockey. And it, I don't necessarily mean that, you know, I throw babies, throw babies out with bathwater in terms of how, how hockey is these days. Because, you know, I love speed and skills. I love goals, too. Who doesn't? Um, but, you know, a little, a little bit of a blend there. And, um, you know, because of this parity as well in, in the league, you know, every game, every point is so tight, there is definitely – know guys uh, guys excited and you know guys celebrate well and um, more than just sort of a fist bump to the bench there's there's definitely real feeling and emotion and and rivalry in a 12-team league where you see each other a lot too so there's a lot to like and bring it back to the SJ but um, yeah you know there's there's just I don't know in this day and age where there's such big money it's hard to hard to get away from a bit of a jaded perspective about how these guys make so much money and so therefore the the best business decision is to is to just go about your business and go home and go to bed as opposed to that that entertainment value um but uh yeah no anyways it, it it's not dead i don't think it's the way that the world is going is terrible or anything it's just um yeah it, it's it's uh, it's fun when it it's fun when it happens that's for sure
0: well, I do agree. Like Teams do need the blend. They, do, they need the, the sandpaper and the edge. And, I mean, a team yeah. like Toronto is a team that, you know, a lot of people yeah. say is lacking having that, you know, sandpaper edge. And, you know, you look at the Tom Wilson types and stuff like that in Washington, you know, and a lot of teams seem to be breeding this kind of player that's a power forward but can stick up for his guys, throw a hit and take a lick, you know, and you know, you look at a league like the SJHL, and that may be a league that may be honed in on for developing that stuff, where you have that grinded ability, you have that different brand of hockey that harkens back to a different time, you know, that may be where it comes from. And it may be where the coveted players start coming from, if that's the, the style of hockey that's still produced there, which, like you said, a lot of people in a lot of leagues is going more skill-based, and that's what they think is going to draw more eyeballs and more excitement, but there's nothing better to me than a team that sticks up for themselves, but a uh, the you know having the guy on the team that kind of galvanizes everyone like we talked about Torts on the ice though that stands up for, you know, a player that gets a big hit or, you know, or just in a situation that calls for maybe a guy runs the goalie or something and you have someone skating up and and dealing with it. You know, that seems to be something that's disappearing and I'm not saying that we need to go back to fighting, and it needs to be, you know, four or five fights a game, but you want someone to stand up there and say, hey, listen, you're not going to do that. Like Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves is a great example. You know, he fights when he absolutely has to, but he will be the first one to sit you on your butt and tell you, hey, listen, you're not doing that. That's not flying around here, and, you know, stay away from my skilled guys. And Dustin Bufflin was the same when he was in Winnipeg. I remember last year him and grabbing two guys and, you know, basically pulling them off and throwing them to the ice. So, you know, yeah. and everybody got jacked up about that, but... No, I I do agree with you. That is a brand of hockey that I think needs, the blend needs to be there, and I think the pendulum will swing back to the blend again, but it's just going to take time, obviously. But to jump, like I said about the Maple Leafs, I mean, I'm wondering what you think about this season, my friend, you're a Leafs fan. So what have Mm -hmm. you thought about the beginning and now, obviously, the Keefe era? What are your thoughts so far about this Toronto Maple Leaf squad? Yeah,
2: you know,
1: so many people have... And I was asked this question pretty really recently. I think, like, so many people make so much of, of, you know, whether this Leaf team has, you know, the guts or the hard to play against ability or, or the toughness needed to, to go toe to toe with, you know, the, the classic boogie monster, the Boston Bruins. Obviously, it's been said many millions of times by on every Maple East podcast that, you know, for some reason we just can't beat Boston, but. I just, I don't really buy, I don't buy into that narrative, to be honest. Like, I, what, what I saw with the Leafs, this group of Leafs core under Mike Babcock, um, and, and it's not, to be, to be fair, it's not that different from what I heard about stories with the Detroit teams that were under Mike Babcock, too, except they were just stacked. Like, they had McGlidster.
0: Etc. Doesn't matter who else. You have Nicholson. That's the start, right? I mean, I heard Datsuk Datsuk and Zetterberg weren't that bad either.
1: Datsuk, Zetterberg. You know, the list. The list goes on. Obviously, Um, I think this was just the least team that couldn't stand their coach. I I think that's that's the bigger the bigger issue. I think he was trying to get. You know, everything was about him. Every you know, he was he was you know. Okay, sure. This team is not you know. the team built by Dubas to be uh, dump and chase and and grind and battle and win games 2-1 and go home and you know and have a you know have a beer and then go to bed like it's it's uh, it's a chair that popped over the blue line team. It's a creative team. It's a you know hey Tyson Berry yes you can carry it past the past the dots like into the offensive zone and be, be creative be dangerous. You know, I don't want you to just you know chip it into the corner and, and hope that you know Zach Hyman's on the ice every game, every every shift. You know, it, I think that narrative, you know, it, it doesn't really hold. Uh, it doesn't really it doesn't really hold true because you know I've seen so many teams. I've seen many teams that play are playing well for their coach and teams that aren't playing you know the right way not for their coach. And you know, I think this was a team that didn't hasn't believed in in Mike Matt Mathbeyfau talk was preaching for a long time. Um, you know, to be honest, and uh, you know, I also forget that the, the margin of victory and defeat against those the, in that Boston, those Boston series have always been so small, too. Like it hasn't been like the Leafs have been just pumped in four or over and over either. So you know, I think I think the difference, you know, really, especially this year, was at uh, the start of the year that so this just this group just had enough of Mike Babcock, and that's just dangerous. And I talked about it earlier when a team doesn't feel like the coach has their back when. I feel like this team
0: felt like Mike Babcock was more up for Mike Babcock. Well, I mean, just to to jump on that right quick, I mean, you look at the fact that they named John Tavares captain, but who was the captain until he was fired? It was Mike Babcock. You know, it was Mike Babcock for everything. And John Tavares got to be captain, and I agree with Steve Dangle on this, when they played their first game in Arizona, (laughs) that is the first game under Keefe, that is when he got to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs.
1: Yeah, I know that's a great point. And and you know what? The leafs have been very good under Sheldon Keith and I think beliefs uh, you know, I think what Sheldon Keith has said, contrary to like what Babcock was saying, was, you know, don't be the best version of you. Like, you know, Tyson Berry is the biggest is the best example of a microcosm of of what, you know, the, the, has the struggles of this leaf team, you know, it's it's guys are afraid to be themselves. Guys are afraid to express themselves. And this is such a skilled, talented leaf team and you don't you know what the the, the, the great's not really a secret anymore. Everybody uses Corsi and fancy stats and, and all that stuff and that's all great. Um but the the bottom line of all of that is is that it's hard to play against you if you have the puck the whole game. Yep. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to. And this leaf team, especially the forwards, have what it takes to have the puck the whole game. And that works in the regular season. That works in the playoffs. So, you know what? I'm not worried about this team now. I think without that they have Sheldon Keith. You know, obviously John Tavares has been tremendous this year. I love that line with Nealander and Kerfoot. I don't know who wouldn't. What a combo! I mean, you put great players like uh, like Nealander and Tavares together. Great things are you know usually going to happen anyways, but seems like it's really, really tucking and at least looks like they're playing a little bit more free. And I mean, they're going to win some games like they did uh, against uh, um, Carolina. I, what was that on Christmas? Uh, how was that
0: Those 23rd,
1: yeah, was on the 23rd. Yeah, that? yeah, the 8-6 game. 23rd, yeah. Are they going to play some games like that? Absolutely. But that's the way that Cal built his team, you know? The, when a team believes and knows what they're good at and, and you know, is free to do that, then um Good things are going to happen. So I, I honestly think this Leafs team—you know—maybe they can make an ad or two at the deadline. That would be nice. Um, you know, if, they're, if they can stay healthy, that would be the biggest thing. But uh, and maybe find a backup goalie because I don't know where you're going to—who's going to get you a backup goalie under under this salary cap situation. Um, but you know, I really believe in this group uh, because they can have the puck the whole game, and that's that's the fanciest stat that I got.
0: <laughs> we'll touch on the backup goalie in just a second, but. You're you're right. You know, this team looks completely different underneath Sheldon Keefe. And one of the things that I realized right off the hop, and it was reported on like it was the biggest piece of news of life, but the Maple Leafs actually doing skills development and dividing the team between forwards and D... On separate pads to work on their skill development, something that Mike Babcock said was a summer thing and something you only do in the summer. So Sheldon Keefe instantly tapped into his team and said, "Okay, we have a bunch of skilled guys who are not being able to exercise their skill development, and basically, kind of you know putting it down into a box and okay, we'll put that away until the off season. Which, if you look now, you I mean, you look at that no look backwards pass by Matthews or just the creative things they're coming up with." to dish the puck or to get the puck into the zone or just little things that make you go, wow, you know, those weren't being worked on under Babcock. And like you said, this team here is high-skilled and likes puck possession. So if you have puck possession most of the game, like you just said, you're going to win more games than not. So that's one thing I noticed right out of the gate with Sheldon Keefe allowing this team to skill develop. And it seems like, you know, if you watch the video after his first win, and John Tavares throws on the basketball, that wasn't forced emotion. They were excited he got the win. They were excited to win. And if you look at the emotion on the ice, like we were talking about just not too long ago, John Tavares, you know, the fist pumps and the, yes! You know, that wasn't there under Babcock. Matthew, same thing. You know, just the excitement level. It's it's there (laughs) in a different way. And this squad, yeah, I'm not worried about them either anymore. They are playing looser, but the biggest thing Sheldon Keith did, like you said, not only let guys go be the best version of themselves, he put players in positions to succeed. Tyson Berry yeah. under Babcock, Babcock was trying to make him a defend-first defenseman. You have this guy for a year. You don't have him on an extension. He's here as a yeah. rental purely, pretty much, and you're trying to change his game instead of putting him on the yeah. power play and letting him freewheel and deal, which is what his, he's had success with his whole career. So now under Keith, he's resurrected his season and is on pace to have a 40-plus point season. So, I mean, obviously Sheldon Keith knows what he's got and knows where players need to play, and he has guys that he likes from the Marlies. Look at Pierre Ingval. That guy is Mm -hmm. absolutely found money. I love the way he plays. Absolutely love it. And I'm wondering, you look at Andreas Janssen, who's not far off from coming back to this lineup, you look like a guy like Kapanen, who really hasn't had a huge fit with this lineup? He he has bursts here and there. I'm wondering if one of those guys is a guy that you maybe dangle to go get a you know a goaltender like a Georgiev out of uh, out of the Rangers or Casey Desmith or Tristan Jari. There's lots of names out there that aren't too expensive, and you know you would offset by sending a good winger out, but you'd get that backup goalie you so dearly covet at a young age that may be able to develop into your starter. After Freddie's gone, I'm wondering, Jamie, what is your thoughts on who the Leafs may move out, or should they move anybody out and just wait?
2: Yeah, no, that's a
1: good question. I mean, the the, the big problem that you have, obviously, with the, with a guy like Caspery Capen, and, and again again, under Badcock, they try to fit him into a bottom six role at different times, and most of the time is it didn't work. and But in Casperis head, he's a top six forward, and fair enough. I mean, you need to have, you know, that, that mentality. But the least team has, you know, a lot of top six forwards. And, um, you know, another thing that I've noticed from teams that I've worked with that are successful and teams that I work with struggle is that roles are specifically defined. Uh, and, you know, Kasperi is a guy that wants to be a top six forward and could be, uh, no question. So, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting um, the, the other thing that might be interesting is, is you know, a, as much as the Leafs might be willing to move, you know, a guy like Kaplan and and I don't know, I don't see them moving a guy like Engvall. Um, to be honest, just because he's on a cap head and can play so many versatile roles, so the Leafs are in a real interesting cap bind, and not sure, you know, what the direction they go that way to, to try to manage, to try to manage that. I, I'm not. the... I'm not certain that if there's, you know, I guess Dubis is as creative as they come, but we'll see what happens. I mean, again, get in is the most likely one um, to to move in, in my mind, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what they do. But the thing that that I was trying to get at there is that is that are there other teams in the league willing to, to move those guys too? I mean, guys who are reasonable that are that aren't very good or, or that are very good, rather are young. Um, you know, obviously if you're if you're New York, I mean you need to think about succession of, of Lundqvist at some point, uh, even though
0: he seems like he's never going to age. But you Well, know, they that have that Shishurkin uh, kid, too, who's tearing up the NHL yeah, as just, well. So, I mean, you do have yeah, another he heir apparent to Lundqvist there, but I, I get what you're saying you for sure. Goal so the thing is, is the Leafs are in a real tough situation
2: that way, and yeah, obviously it's the thing where if they could have done something before
1: now, then they, they would have and you know, everybody says that every single Michael Hutchinson start right like loss of averages is finally he's going to be decent <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know where they where they move on if, you know how they you know Michael Hutchinson being in there with some experience you know you, you need someone to, to, to be a your trade partner otherwise or, or, or you know you'll you'll pay way too much uh, the other way so at least you know just can't afford um, can't afford to do that so um you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't really know uh, I don't really know. Dubas is so creative though, so I, I kinda trust him. I think he's done a great job of building a team for the twenty first century and um, yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think it seemed to be fine, uh, personally.
0: Well, next question I'm gonna ask you about is the hot button issue in Toronto obviously is the defense. And we look at guys like yeah. Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, Tyson Berry. Uh, Justin Hall is now signed for three years at $2 million a pop, which he seems like found money after sitting under Babcock for 78 of the possible 82 games last year. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. never expected this out of him. And then you have Travis Dermott, who's an RFA. Um, but the guys I want to ask you about before we talk about the actual core and what's going on there, I'm I'm thinking by the end of the year, we're either going to see Timothy Lilligren in NHL games or Rasmus Sandin, who is having an absolute stellar season, if not both of them. And I'm wondering yeah. what your thoughts are on these two young gentlemen. Obviously Leafs nation is very high on them. I think they're going to be great defensemen that will develop into better ones as long as the proper time is taken to groom them. But I'm wondering if this is the Travis Dermott treatment this year and these two guys get in at the end of the year. Yeah, well, I, I don't think you should rush them either.
2: Like, I think it's it's a team that's supposed to be built, you know, for now
1: and for tomorrow and, and – you know those those two kids are are you know clearly well coached well groomed. I mean they're so young Lilia grin is 20 he didn't miss um, you know one thing I, I'm big on is is if guys have missed a year or or years of of development at key times, um, you know that is huge and and uh, for for Lilia grin I think um, yeah you know actually you know, obviously he's he's a guy that's been around a, a year longer I guess than Sandine, but um yeah, no rush, just give them time and give them a game or two but don't push them into a, a role until, you know, next year or the year after. Uh you know, I think that, what what's cool about Sandine obviously is that he's somebody that Dubas really knows as a person, uh, character wise and um, you know, played under my old buddy John Dean actually at Su Sauss Marie too, so Pretty cool there for uh, for Sandine, what, what a player uh, he's turned out to be, more much more dynamic offensively too than than people have thought. But obviously it's it's uh, it's a world where these are assets too, and um, you know could they be you know sort of movable assets, you know at the deadline too if something you know the right thing comes up, uh, you know why not? Um, you know Little Green is a little bit more uh, seasoned because he's a little bit older. Sandine is a little bit more solid, I'd say. Um, they're both sort of around the same plus minus, but they're they're both similar. They're both well coached kids, and they're both you know guys that um, you know that don't make too many mistakes when you lost them. too. They, they keep it simple? They got the pro game in them really quick. So um, you know that, that's the thing that I love is, is more than the more than the points that they're putting in. Is that they're just so solid. They're, they make the right moves, the right reads so quickly. Uh, and that's the biggest thing for defensemen in the 21st century. Is is. Not you know not not always ripping pucks along the wall. It's it, can you can you look up? Can you make a quick read? Can you you know what's your read? Is your read you know you're looking for the center first? Is looking for the winger first? Is looking for you know to for for a rim in this situation? Knowing what to read like a quarterback, uh, and those guys have it so well. Uh, they're so well coached in season from where they came from. Um, I, I'm a fan for sure. I'm happy with uh, happy with them. I think. And um, Sandine, if there was a redraft, he'd be a higher
0: draft pick than, uh, than he was. <laughs> well, at the time when the Leafs picked Sandine, Joe Valeno was still on the board as he went to Detroit. And a lot of people yeah. were screaming at the fact that we took Sandine and not Valeno. I don't think those same critics are there now. I think everybody's falling no. in love with the kid. So I agree with what you're saying. I'm looking at the rest of the Leafs defensemen. We obviously have Jake Muzzin out with a broken foot. But I think it's a blessing in disguise for Jake Muzzin. Um, I say this because. He's a player that plays a lot of hard miles for the Leafs. He throws the hits, he grinds. I think he was having a little bit of hip issues. We saw it last year with his hip. It was all taped up. And I think this year was nagging him a little bit again. So I think having the broken foot and having to kind of sit out and you know rest a little bit may be a good thing for him. Another guy that I'm noticing, and it's been said a couple times by like Shilton and uh, Paul Hendricks and stuff, Morgan Riley skips a lot of practices because obviously he's dealing with something too I'm wondering if that's another guy that may benefit not just from the All-Star break, but maybe even getting a break in general if the Leafs are far enough ahead. That may give an opportunity to some of these young guys. I'm wondering for yourself, what would you do in a situation where you know a guy is not 100%. I know no one is 100%, but you know a guy is battling through something that if he takes something the wrong way, per se, in the playoffs, you're going to lose him. I look at Jake Gardner last year. Do you shut him down for his own good? Or do you try to bank as many points as possible?
2: Yeah, I mean it
1: really depends on like what situation you're in. I think it depends on the player, depends on the situation. I know it sounds like a um, you know like a
2: scapegoat kind of <laughs> answer, but uh, come on, Jamie, give me something. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah well, you know what?
1: It, you need to put players first and people first, and that's that's the bottom line and, and it'll come back to bite you, you know, either in real terms or in, in uh, you know, I use sort of karma terms, but, uh, you know, it, that's, that's just the way it's got to be. You know, I, I think these are, these are people first and you got to take care of your people. These are assets, you know, you pay them, you pay them a lot of money. If you're, you know, if it's, if it's a matter of, you know, a game where you, you know, you have a point here or there, then, then, than that, that you really need and you know you play them because it's kind of like the playoffs you know in that type of a situation but you know the, the one, one thing I look at this uh this Leafs team in is, is that if they finished you know if they finish second or third in the Atlantic then they're, they're going to end up with Tampa anyways yep. so you know whatever the matchup is it's going to be tough so you know, if you shut a guy down for a couple games, give Lilygren or Sandin a couple more games, and and honestly, I, I do think in the Leafs have clearly pointed that out to us. Is that they agree is that they I actually think that Sandin's development is a little bit ahead of Lilligren.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But uh, you know, give I'm happy to give Sandin uh, you know a bunch of starts in a row and and rest a guy because the way that this Leafs team is is, is stacking things up. Um, you know, it looks like it's going to be, you know, probably a Tampa in the first round anyways. So, you know, like, it. obviously it was really early to be talking
0: like that. But, oh, yeah. Well, um, hey, we're yeah, used to it that, the past that's, that's couple years, of years, right?
2: <laughs> Pardon?
0: We're used to it the past couple of years where we've had a playoff spot locked up in January. So to not have one locked yeah. up yet is a little bit weird now. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, that's,
1: that's a great point. But, yeah, yeah. Hey, I think you got to always put people first. And I talk to the, like the Notre Dame engineering coach about this, you know, all the time. Is and and he what he talks to his players about is uh, coaches that that play mind games with their players. It never works out. And, no. Um, you know, in this day and age, you know, obviously the Mike Keenan's and the Mike Bab talks of the world are are gonna die. Uh, not literally die, but they're gonna be <laughs>
2: they're gonna be you know out of jobs. Getting a little dirt there, Jamie. Yet. Yeah, yeah, aggressive for sure. <laughs> but, uh,
1: uh, but, you know, guys that tell it straight and, and, and being, being honest and truthful with players is how a player can know that you're on their side um, as opposed to, you know, I'm, I'm you know playing a game with you, I'm judging you, and, and you don't know how to act and that kind of thing. Playing mind games is something that, a, you know, the Notre Dame coach, for example, says He's very much against. And, you know, if a kid come, comes in and says, you know, I have, I have a hip injury, a leg injury, a back injury, I can't go, He's so not gonna sit there and be like, okay, well, like you're like like letting your team down, like you're faking, like you know, you're, you know you're not gonna play on the power play when you come. Like he's not like that, you know. He he always making he's making decisions for what's best for the team, but um, you know he's not. He, and that's thing I really appreciate about him is is that you know it's, the injuries happen in, in hockey and modern games are you know guys these kids especially junior hockey players not let alone. You know, guys who have families at home, and our, our parents, and you know, wives and girlfriends and everything. Have, they have enough to to think about and worry about without mind games. And the game is tough enough sometimes. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think I think that's something that I appreciate about uh, about Phil. And um, yeah, I think the Leafs uh, have a good one in Keith too that, that does the same thing.
0: No, it's good to have a coach that's on the same page as the players. And I think the age gap difference sometimes too. You know where Keith is a little bit younger, it helps out because you understand. Yeah. But also, for at least in Keith's sake, he coached a lot of these guys in the Marley, so he already knows them inside yeah. and out. He knows what he's got in a lot of the guys on the squad. So, yeah. you know, being able yeah. to identify with your players and work with them instead of like you said, mind games, it goes a long way. And the respectability yeah. factors there for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, you're. You're, at the end of the day, and like a lot of a lot of coaches do, forget this. Unfortunately, uh, I think I think mentality is is a higher, far higher percentage than system. It's it's a high, it's even a higher percentage than roster combination, line combinations. And obviously, you know, coaches are people, and they just they want to feel like they're impacting the game, and, and obviously they do. I'm not sitting here saying coaching isn't important. Obviously, it's critical, and what you do in practice. But the mentality of the players is. Is I don't know. I'm not going to put a number on it, but it's definitely over over 60 of a win, if you ask me. Um, I know I said I'm not going to put a number on it, but then I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but, but mentality is is huge, and, and you know obviously we can see the difference in the in the this Leafs team and the results right away, right? Like Keith comes in, the mentality is a, a million times better. Uh, this was a you know a group of guys that you know that did that seem like they do like each other. Um, it's a group of guys that obviously have a ton of skill and obviously, you know, draft, drafting well, draft lotteries and um, making pretty good moves have, have put together this team of Leafs that um, can, can contend with anybody skill-wise in the league and um, you just throw in a good mentality and, you know, why, why can't there be a parade in downtown Toronto this year? I don't I don't know why. Not. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Obviously, that's the, the curse of every Leaf fan ever, but I don't see... Given the way things are at
0: mentality wise, why not? Why not? Exactly. And that is an absolute good thing to say. Because beginning of the season when we were going down the wrong path, we were talking about no playoffs. So why not think about good things and positive things? And we are in a new year. So obviously creating positive vibes, positive relationships, and keeping things going is the way we should go. And Jamie, I wanna thank you so much for taking the time all the shufflings of the decks all the times of not getting on i want to thank you for finally getting the chance to come on and speak with me cuz this has been awesome we got to go through so much and i can't wait i yeah. hopefully can get you back on again this year and we can talk some more
1: anytime at all you let me know you, you let me know i'm there and really appreciate it man
0: no worries well let everybody know where they can find you on social media and let everybody know uh, some things you're working with as well
1: yeah so um Make sure you get your pen and paper out there, folks. I'm no, just kidding. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at New n u g s i e, and I post my, my weekly column there and different podcasting that I'm part of and I do um, there. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram uh, at NUG87, D eighty seven. eighty um, seven. But then also follow the Hound, Overday Hound, Hounds, Jr. A on Twitter and Instagram at N-D-J-R-A-Hounds. And uh, I've got a lot of fun. Uh, I got a great group of kids that I work with and make little fun videos with all the time. And and you know, obviously, hockey-related content as well. And um, so I do my best to to make uh, them look good, and they do their best to make me look good. And it's a lot of fun. So uh, follow those two places. Really appreciate it.
0: No worries. I will make sure to tag both of those at the bottom of this link for the podcast. And everybody, I want to say thank you very much for tuning into the first episode of 2020. Me and Jamie now say goodbye. Have yourself a good one.